Y'all, I got Irene Cho on this week, and you already know, this episode about to be fire! Come on now, it's Profane Face. You, 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 you give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It's our God. Jesus Christ has turned the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be, become a black man again. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, 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 yo, what's going on out there, profane faithers? Yes, it's your boy. That's right, coming at you. Oh, my goodness. Well, we are, we're hitting it. We're hitting it. We're hitting it. I'm excited. Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? I know, I know I did. I know I did. It was, uh, it was a modified one. I, in fact, I was just talking with my therapist about, uh, he asked a really good question about, like, you know, because we we're talking about narrative and we we're talking about, uh, how that's important in your lineage, uh, and how, I don't really have that narrative. Like I have it on my mom's side of the family, but it's all disjointed, right? It's like, I know my history on my mom's side, but because my dad decided to, you know, be a complete ass uh, and not take responsibility for, you know, being the father that he needed to be at the time, I'm just completely disconnected from, you know, the black side. And so we talked a lot about, you know, what that black narrative looks like, right? That collective black narrative, you know, having a black grandmother, having a black mom um, or, or just having a black father. Right. You know, I never had any of that stuff or I mean, it, yes, technically it was there, but I had no connection to it, that narrative. And so knowing your narrative, which is connected to identity, which is connected to just, you know, your collective ancestry. Who are you? Um, it's what I love about the Marvel Universe in their origin stories, because there is so much there to unpack. There is so much there to um, take apart, and it's it you. It's important to know who you are. And so that was one of the things. And you know, I'm still processing. I'm still processing that uh, how he asked me that because I was like, man, that is the truth because I I don't know that. And I think that's a large part. And I think that's you know one of the things that comes up a lot in in um, the Rona era, right? It's like you know, who are we? <laughs> what do we do uh, with where we're at and how do we then structure that in such a way that, um, you know, we can move forward in life. And um, <laughs> I say all that to say, as I'm talking about, you know, Thanksgiving and food, I mean, because, you know, we had a real modified, you know, usually we you throw down, like I said last week, we have a whole bunch of people in the house, but this year it wasn't. We had a family friend, our friend Chase came over and we just hung out. Um, I cooked, started cooking on Thursday and Thanksgiving day. I haven't done that. I can't even remember the last time I started cooking on actual Thanksgiving day. I usually start like on Tuesday and just, and I had to ask myself like, what's, what's the point? What's the point? Why would you start cooking on Tuesday? You know what we did as a family on Wednesday, day before Thanksgiving? 
we sat. I literally rolled out of bed around 10, got to sleep in, which is rare, which is great. And we literally watched Grey's Anatomy all freaking day. And one of the hardest things to do is to give yourself permission to do the things that we in Western society have said that shouldn't be happening. You shouldn't be resting on your ass. You shouldn't be caught sleeping. You shouldn't be caught, right, not on your bed. You don't get caught napping. Don't get caught sleeping, right? And so, I, you know, I've had to process a lot of that shit, man. That 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 ain't no joke. I mean, and I think it's the same goes in religion, right? I mean, having worked for, you know, evangelical outreach organizations, you are always going, especially as a person of color, as a woman, you are always, always on the go, always on the move, always hustling. And then that becomes a part of, guess what? Your narrative, that identity, People ask you how you're doing, then you, you give it an update on just, well, you know, we got this, yeah, we got that. No, 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 how are you doing? It took me years to finally just settle into how am I really doing? And I think this Thanksgiving, I was just really thankful for the simple yet complex and deep things like family, being able to stay connected to my daughter, my my, my partner, Emily, um, our family friend, Chase, the pets. The pets provide so much life. Um, so all those things, right, um, those kind of, you know, tailed into uh, a, a great Thanksgiving for us. And again, the permission to not go big, right, to go out and and, and not that that's a bad thing. Right. Um, it, I think one of the things for for me, at least, you know, as I'm thinking about faith and life and, you know, the beyond is like, you know, it's just taking taking solace of the now what is happening right now can i be present right now that's not always possible when you're when you're caught up in the in the drive right you know and as and i'll speak for myself as a blackskin as a black man racially ethnically mexican american african american uh i have you know it it that drive to keep going cuz you you always have to i have to outwork mediocrity I always say that a lot, even in my own department at my, you know, where I, where I teach at, right? Um, I have to be the one to put out more publications. I have to be the one to put out more books, but that shit takes work and it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of times when, you know, other people didn't have to do that, especially my white male counterparts, right? The, the white male, mediocre white male, that is my strongest and worst competition because they don't really have to do much, right? Um, and it's not just my department. I mean, I look around a lot oftentimes like, how did you make it to where you're at in your in your career with the amount of work that you've put in? Right. Uh, and that's across the board, not just as an academia. Right. That's across the board. So that drive, which, again, I'm not knocking. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's but it's got to be nuanced into being present and being now. And that's a that's an ongoing thing. I think, you know. Life coaches and everything. It's not a knock on no life coaches, but I think you know people. It they make it very simple, like oh, just be now and be present now. It it again, it's nuanced. It's not all the time. It can't just always happen. So for me, it's it's an ongoing work. It's an ongoing struggle. It's a, it's it's an ongoing thing. There's going to be days where it's just out of balance. It's out of whack. Just like a car, and you need to go get it tuned up. It's very much the same way, you know, with what I look at it, you know, especially like checking in with my therapist, right? I, we meet every two weeks and, um, you know, it's like a little tune-up, little mini tune-up. I got to go in. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, you know, uh, one of the things I want to do is really look into, you know, some kind of form of ancestry. And I, I, this is something I just, I hate 
<laughs> New Year's resolutions. Uh, but that's if I had to make one, that would be mine for 2021. I need to I need to dig down and really actually figure out who the hell I am biologically. <laughs> okay, biologically, I need to figure out what my ancestry looks like. Um, and so I'm doing a little research now to see, you know, which organizations that do all that um, will do it and not sell my damn DNA back to freaking the feds and Homeland Security and all that crap. Right. So I'm looking at y'all have any suggestions, you know, hit your boy up, hit your boy up. Let me know. Let me know what's going on. Um, well, look, I don't want to take up too much time. As always, y'all, I have a bomb fire guest my good friend Irene Cho is on. Yo, yeah, I. you know what? I've known Irene. I don't even know how long I've known Irene. It just feels like we've always known each other. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, Irene's like a sister. Um, and uh, much like Angie was last week, not that she was just, uh, you know, <laughs> last week. But much like last week, uh, Angie, I've just known her forever. And I've known Irene. And um, we're kind of on a streak of looking at strong Asian women Last week was Angie. This week is Irene Cho. Next week, I'll give you a little preview. I don't know if I should give you a preview. Should I give you a preview? I don't know. But next week, you're going to have another strong Asian woman, um, you know, talking about life and God and what it means, you know, to be engaged with all of that. So I wanted to really emphasize that and really, you know, just talk about what does it mean, right, to to live faith in this era. And that's one of the questions I write. I ask Irene. It's like, Why? Are you still a Christian? I think that's part of what I'm I'm even exploring. <laughs> Why would I still subscribe to a faith that has been so um oh, just so horrible in so many ways? And it takes a lot of discovery, which is why I get why some people like the simplistic form of church, right? We go on Sunday, maybe Saturday, and we're good, right? It because it takes a lot of work and a lot of energy to really dig past the surface maniacal shit that religion brings and puts out, right? Um and this is what I love about Irene. She's continuing to, to move forward. And I like that. And as I was like, I texted her and I was like, yo, we got to get you on the show. And she's like, oh, what about November? So I was like, let's do this. So we had a chance to really just chop it up. And I always appreciate her perspective. I could talk with her for days. I'll definitely have her back on the show. And she's been on the show before. And I think when we were reviewing a couple of films and something when we were, you know, what when another black body was killed, she was on as well. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, she, she, is, she is no stranger to profane faith uh, and a longtime listener herself. And I've just appreciated the work that she's done uh, in growth uh, and, and just where she's come from. And, yeah, it's good stuff. She is um, she's a national speaker. She's a writer, consultant and advisor. She's served 28 years in youth ministry. Her passion is for the misfits of the world and to bring gospel message of joy and hope to the least, the lost, and the last. She has a Master's of Divinity from Talbot Theological Seminary. She's going to talk about all this and a BA in Christian Education from Biola. All right. After serving as the Program Manager of Urban Leadership Training for the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Theological Seminary for the last 11 years, Irene is embarking on a new venture of youth ministry. She's going to get into that as well. Resourcing applicable to those on the margins, and which I think is really, really, really important because we've been talking about this shit forever. People on the margins, people who don't fit into a youth specialty model or whatever model, right, that's been established that people look to for the only way to go, right? Those who don't fit that, where's our stuff? And I appreciate this is what, you know, she's doing. Uh, she has a website, uh, findingtheinbetween.com, which as always, I'll put in the show notes, whiteoutchpodcast.com, profane faith. Click on that. You get all access to the show notes. 
In her minimal time, spare time, uh, Irene enjoys a good book, movie, or television show, hang out with the friends and former students, and her husband, Matt, and of course, getting some good sleep. Uh, you're going to love this conversation. We went in on <laughs> a lot of different things. And the thing I really most appreciate about Irene is she, just, she keeps it 100. Um, and that's... That's so for me. That's always the glue. That's a glue to a relationship. Like keep it 100. Can you keep it 100? I don't care how messy you are, how dirty you are. What can you keep it 100? Uh, and that's what she does, and she does a great job of it. So, check this conversation out. In the meantime, you know, go support her. Go to the go to the White Hearts podcast site. And if you have a question or a statement or some kind of thing that you want, you're wrestling with. Drop me a note, okay? Go, White Hearts podcast. You just go to Profane Faith. This is the top of of the page. It has a link. Click in there. We didn't get anything for this week, but hopefully next week. All right? Oh, mercy. Yes, indeed. Well, I hope you all have a good week. Hope you're enjoying yourself wherever you're at in the world. Take care of yourself. Stay safe and enjoy this conversation. Check it out. All right. And there you go. Um, How you been? You been all right? I've been doing good. I'm loving Oakland. Um, it's It's... Yeah, we're really enjoying it. I'm so glad to be out of L.A. Yeah, I know you. You you really didn't like L.A. No, I did not. I'm a Philly. I'm a Philly, New York girl. Okay, all right, all right. So, like the seasons, the lack of nature, all of it. Just it don't. Outside of the friendships and the food. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, living by the ocean. Living by the ocean was tolerable. Did like, you, you know? Okay, because y'all, because wait a minute, because did you? Because y'all moved, right? Y'all, y'all moved to like closer to LAX. Yeah, we were in Playa Vista. So oh we wow, were, we were in Bougieville. Wow, and it was it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a real nice area. Absolutely, jeez. Oh my god. We we were looking because we didn't we just transferred our lease because it's the okay. same management complex oh. and so we were yeah we were like I was like wait I got this notification and then so I I asked and Matt was like oh my gosh why is my wife so brilliant and like so we looked at four different properties towards the west side because he had gotten okay. that job uh-huh. um, in Santa Monica and we asked the place where we were we ended up moving I was like so we weren't even gonna check it out because the pictures look so stupid right yeah and um we were like is this a place from the 70s it was weird and then we get there and i'm like okay so what's so great about you all versus the other place the other sx properties he's like well technically we're not in la we're in playa vista and i was like i don't i don't know what that means i didn't know really anything about it (laughs) he's like well we get all the amenities of playa vista without paying the hoa and I was like, oh. oh, he's like, you should look around and there's a gym. And wow. we just, we walked around and I was like, uh, can, can we live here? Right, right. So, yeah, we had a, we had two pools. One of the pools had like cabanas <laughs> and stuff. I That's mean, awesome. there were like That's great. five million parks to go uh, sit and like. It it was so it was so but it wasn't sterile like uh Irvine felt. It okay. felt more it did feel like Pleasantville esque. Okay. But it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't sterile like Irvine because it was still urban-y esque, you know, type of thing. It was just really clean urban. Okay. Type of feel. Yeah. Wow. I well because and- it, because it there was because of the tech companies, it was super diverse. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, we yeah. used to we used to drive through there all the time, and so you know, just to kind of just right like, oh, it's a nice to get away, and yeah, that no, that's definitely a nice place. Because before that, weren't you in Pasadena? Well, we were in L. We were in Pasadena, yeah. So we moved from L.A. Yeah, child, I moved. I, I counted. <laughs> oh Lord, I we hate moved, moving. We moved six times in. No, five times in four years, if oh. I'm including my parents, because obviously oh. my parents moving means I'm moving, right? Because oh. my mom, yeah. I got to do it all. Yeah. So we moved my stuff from my old apartment that was still there because I didn't know if my living with my parents was going to be like temporary. I was going to move back. Yeah. Which turned out to be permanent. Yeah. So I had to move that stuff out. Matt, like housing was all got fucked up. So then he had to move out into an apartment. And then from that apartment, he moved into L.A. Then from L.A., we moved to Pasadena. And then my parents got kicked out. So then we had to move them to Santa Clarita. And then we moved down to West L.A. And then now we've moved to Oakland. So technically in five years, I've moved six times. Wow. Yeah, that's worse than us. We would move every two. Uh, Yeah, it was like campus housing. West side. Nope. Let's move over here. Nope. That didn't work out. So that's, but that's worse than us. That's woo. I don't know how you did it. How'd you stay sane? I, I, I didn't. I lost a book deal because of it. (laughs) (laughs) You did? What happened, Irene? What Tell me about that. (laughs) I, I went over with my mom like 2016 to 2018. And I just told that because I was on the call with you and I was like, going through it i was like i know like we can't predict life but can we make it a goal at least to just (laughs) never go through that shit again yeah no i yeah man you know life happens i mean it's it's yeah you can look back jesus jesus so i'm great compared to that no, I, I, I can tell. I mean, I can tell. I mean, your face, everything about you is, like, different. It's like oh, UIWI, uh, Irene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I've been, like, I mean, during my recuperation process, so I would say, like, 2019 after I left FYI to, like, now, right? Mm-hmm. So the last year and a half, it's been recuperation from all the PTSD, all the trauma shit. Yeah. And I, I've been like reflecting so much on self care and recovery, especially when it comes to urban leadership. Like what does it mean that we can survive slash thrive? How do we not have these situations happen? And then when we recover, like how do we do that? Yeah. And this year has been like, honestly, quarantine hasn't been horrible for us because Matt has gotten a, great job at Facebook like he you know we don't we love each other we don't like in the sense of like we don't annoy each other so we're not like driving each other crazy right he's pretty quiet you know and I'm also pretty introverted we don't bug each other like in any way shape we had to do a couple of like you know how do we keep things clean kind of you know discussions and stuff but like outside of that and then, so we've been really great. And then I've been getting the unemployment. So like, honestly, quarantine hasn't been awful, yeah. but it's been really interesting to be in the space of privilege mm-hmm. while the world is like exploding. 
But like, it's super triggering because I've been in that world and this is the first time I am not having a coinciding trauma oh, wow. with everything happening. Yeah, yeah. So like, I, I just don't, uh, even that, like I didn't, I didn't know how to navigate privilege while being in that, like being in the midst of that craziness. Wow. That's a trip. So, that's a trip to hear. Yeah. Cause I, I hear you on that. I mean, cause that's where I feel like Emily and I are at too. It's like there, I mean, it's yes, there's a lot going on, on externally, but I feel like the first one of the first times that we, you know, we're personally not, you know, also, connected in that in some way or form so right. yeah yeah i hear you i hear you so i don't it's it's weird because i'm like how do i stay connected but like have self-care to keep recuperating but not detach yeah like and not be triggered by it yeah so yeah yeah wow. and like i embrace and accept that it's okay for me to not read the news every day it's okay for yes. me to not like, yes yes and take advantage yes. of this privilege face right now and not feel guilty and ashamed about it well that's that for me is the big that latter part that you just said is the guilt and the shame because i feel like oh you're not having to scrounge for gas money and you do you know and then that guilt sets in like well maybe should i be doing more like what what's going on here it's like a fomo for trauma yes yes absolutely FOMO for trauma. Absolutely. FOMO for trauma. I, that's, that's, you can use that. That is printable right there. That'll <laughs> preach FOMO for trauma. That is exactly it. Yeah. I've, and that's, I do. I feel FOMO for trauma and FOMO for drama. Quite honestly, yeah. it's like, should we be doing more drama? Should like we be yelling at each other? <laughs> should we be falling apart right now? Shouldn't we yep. be divorced? Yep. I mean, so. <laughs> That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, FOMO, because yes. it, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, that guilt. That, for me, is much more of a of a persistent nag. Um, yeah. Living in this, because what, you and I, we're about the same age, right? Mid-40s? Yes, yes. What else? Thank 46. You. Yeah, I'm 46, yeah. Yeah, then we are the same yep. age, that's it. So, yep. oh my gosh, that's deep. That that got that got me thinking. I'm just like, wow, just how connected to 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 that. Yeah. Man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. This is this is great. It's great to finally have you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> um We don't have much to talk about. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. You uh just your Twitter feed alone, right? It's it's <laughs> even though I'm still off. I'm still off, but uh, it, I'm so mad. I tell you, I am. I, my students are all like, dude, you got to get a burner account. And I just like out of principle, I'm just like, but I had an account that I built for over a decade. Why get a burner account? Because I'm not one of those guys, right? I'm not one of those like you open up 15 different Twitter accounts just right. to piss people off. And I, I guess the new trend, I just I just read about this. Uh, from like the alt-right and stuff is doing this is that they'll open up literally like 200 accounts and there'll be multi-ethnic accounts black people what well, yeah you heard about right right and then they'll go and like re-support like oh i'm a black person or i'm an asian person i'm a mexican person and i support trump and it'll be just them right like you can do a backwards trace on their photo and it's somebody else's photo and stuff and so like an ai Photo. Right. That's the. Oh man, that New York Times article that just came out about yeah. the AI. Oh, 
I was like, what world are we living in? I I deleted for the first time on my Instagram. I posted Frederick Joseph's thing on Kyle Rittenhouse compared to, I forget the gentleman's name, who um, committed suicide. Let me look it up. Oh, man. Um, he, I got like uh, Khalif Browder who okay. committed suicide um, when he was in jail. That's and, right. That's right. That's um, right. That's right. So then there were three comments that, one guy tried to message me and was like, I'm black and I believe all lives See? matter. And I was like, delete, you're not black. Fuck right, you. right, right, right. And I posted a comment and I was like, I, yes, I'm deleting all negative comments about Absolutely. in support for Kyle Rittenhouse because fuck white supremacy. I'm not catering <laughs> to their bullshit. That's right. Like, That's right. We're going to play dirty. I'm not, I'm not beneath that. No, I know. And that's, I want to get into that. Cause that's, that's the, yes, the, the T on that is, is great, Irene. Um, but I think, I mean, folk, I think I'd love to hear your backstory as much as you want to share. Um, how have you, you know, how have you gotten to, to now? Cause you've got a very fascinating story. It's very much connected to your ethnic heritage, but you also nuance faith and all that. Cause that's one of the questions I want to ask you, like, how in the hell do you keep a Christian faith amidst all of the crap. That was my even question to like Willie Jennings. I'm just like, how, how, I, how, I can, how can you be black and be Christian at this time? So yeah. I'd be curious about that. Um, I don't know how much you want to share about your time with FYI. I don't want to bash anybody at the same time, you know, uh, yeah, you know, the deal. I know the deal. I know the deal. I mean, are, are, we're go we're good, right? We're going. Oh yeah, we're going. We're going. You're you're, um, you're you're sounding great. You know, I I think so. I keep saying 2016 was my Lemonade album, right? <laughs> the Lemonade <laughs> is, album. There is, you go. It has been building up, you know, ever so slowly. But I am so thoroughly an Enneagram Nine, right? Mm. And I. I just recounted to my friend, she had asked me, uh, she's like, can I ask you a personal question? Do you have a tattoo? And I told her my funny long story of why I didn't get a tattoo, right? <laughs> um, and my overthinking nineness, you know, ended up blocking me because now at this point, by the time I decided what I wanted to get, it was like, I'm like middle age now. Is it right for me to get my first tattoo at this point? And I, I know. Was like, I, I don't know if I want to go through the half. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I say the same thing. I'm just like, should I get my first tattoo when I'm almost 50? I don't know. Those days are past. Oh it's going to start sagging soon. So I'm just like, yeah. yeah. Also, I'm a social nine, so I don't like following trends. And now everybody uh, and their mama's got tattoos. Yeah, By the time yeah. I was like, I'm going to do it, it got all popular for uh, Christians to get tattoos. Yeah. To break the mold, I was like, "Bitch, I've been thinking about this for ten years before any <laughs> right. of this." Like, right. so now I'm like, I don't want to be that person. So yeah, I want to be the other person mm -hmm. who doesn't have the tattoo. But um, you know, I had decided to get a dove because my name is Irene, which you know, on our Twitter, on our uh, text thread, the Keep It One Hundred thread, it was hilarious that you know, yes, my name ironically means peace in Greek and that's why I wanted the dub and I, I really had embraced that my role in you know the world was to be a bridge builder was to 
reconcile first and second gen, you know, immigrants, you know, kids and families to be this person before I even knew Enneagram nine. Wow. You know, I knew I had the ability to see both sides of the story. Yeah. And to be that person to like help build bridges and understanding and empathy with, you know, parties on polar opposite sides. So I was like, okay, then as I was slowly entering into the racial justice, you know, dialogues and and all of that, I'm like, okay, I could, as an Asian American woman, you know, who therefore is a person of color, is a woman of color, you know, who's aware and learning and, and able to somewhat empathize with the, you know, issues that black Americans are experiencing to some certain degree, not a full degree, but to some enough that I could help translate and build bridges with the white community. This is my, what I thought, right? Okay. And then, 20, and then 2016 hit. <laughs> I read, like, I'm so with you. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. And it just, I mean, over four years, it, I was like, okay, surely it'll, it'll, it'll be, it'll be what I thought. Cause I was like, I mean, I hated Hillary. Still voted for her, but like, you know, I, I yeah. was like, I, there was a part of me that was like, let Trump come in then. If this is the golden calf and the king that you all wanted, right? This is the stall you wanted. May it be delivered and may it be our destruction so that we can rebuild. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I thought it wouldn't be, it wouldn't go down the path that it went. I just didn't, I just continued to have this naive belief and hope in what I was told was America. Like Mm -hmm. what I believed was America. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And all around and what I believed was Christian evangelical ecclesiology and like theology of what, is correct. What is Jesus and what is the gospels and and all of that. And so, um, I just had this childlike faith that Mm. people would do what needed to be done. Right. Right. And I just kept getting more and more disappointed. And like, it's like that thing where you, once you, you know, this happened to me with legalism and with fundamentalism. I like, I had gone through that whole journey for 15 years, like almost leaving the faith because of my faith crisis in the church and, and all of that. So prior to this, it's not like I wasn't frustrated with the church because yeah. of its fundamentalism and because of how it's so legalistic. And, and like, you know, my class in seminary, extra Jesus of the Gospels, where I, for the really first time, dove into the gospels and really started seeing how the current day church is exactly the religious leaders that Jesus subverted and was preaching against and was hoping to, you know, bring light to, you know, that journey had been going on for a long time. I just didn't put that in conjunction with the racial demons and the racial possession, you know, that is, was happening on, you know, because, you know, Chanel and I, we've had conversations where I was very aware of my genderness, um, and the obstruction of my, of me wanting to be a leader and and what I wanted to do for ministry and kingdom, you know, 
because of my vagina and my boobs and stuff, right? And so, like, that's something that I've been dealing with for a long time. But I never really dealt with my racial, ethnic identity because, first of all, for me, having served predominantly in immigrant church spaces and Mm. Korean immigrant church spaces, which are extremely patriarchal and misogynistic, Mm. like, white spaces were my safe spaces. And so, and Kathy Kang and I have talked about this too. Huh. Like when I went into youth ministry world, white youth ministry world, yeah. I was valued. I was seen. I was asked to speak. I was, you know, brought huh. to the table. Wow. And so for me, like it was, uh, it was heaven. It was this place where, okay, we can all come together. So I was very blinded to what was happening to black Americans um, in my own personal journey because I just didn't understand what was behind that. So the curtain was, you know, torn and like, I couldn't unsee the fundamental legalism that existed in the church, you know? And so my whole, like for so long, for 15 years, my journey was to help with young people, with students, not be grasped into that fundamental thought process, into that fundamental theology and to be free from that, um, to experience grace, to understand who Jesus is without the guilt and shame, um, all of that. So that had been my whole process. And so it's like, once you unsee that, once you see the imprisonment of that, you can't unsee it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that journey had already happened. But mm-hmm. then I started entering into the racial journey and, you know, how it intersects with that. And so oh, yeah. then I'm like, once you see that, you can't unsee it, right? No, I so, know. I've been trying to. <laughs> yeah. And, like, so I think, you know, the more and then, like, Me Too happened. And it was just, like, all of that, yeah. you know, came together. And the silence of the church with Me Too, the the issues that started coming up with me too, mm-hmm. you know, in church too. Um, and then, you know, for 20 years, I've been asking the question of church folks, like what about the LGBTQ issues? You know, before it was cool, like before it was yeah. trendy, before it was a hot topic when yeah. nobody wanted to talk about it. Right. I was asking questions like, this is something we need to address. And it was like, no, why do we need to address it? They're going to hell. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. They convert. Right. Right. And I'm like, really? Are, is that, that's it. That's what we're going to be okay with. And so I think, you know, it's just been a long, slow process in very nine, any grand nine fashion for me, mm. of a slow breakup and slow divorce with the church. Um, you know, and so when 2016 happened, I couldn't unsee all of the white supremacy. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just yeah. strips of like cloth coming off of my eyes, the shackles coming off one by right. one. And I was just like, oh my God. And now, you know, I kept all throughout. I mean, you and I are talking about my Facebook or my Twitter. Like, I just, I'm like, I'm speaking out into the wilderness, hoping that you all would hear <laughs> and listen. But yeah. at this point, I'm like, it's, it, I mean, I don't, I don't discount the Holy Spirit. I don't discount my belief that God can crazily change people. Yeah. You know, my dad, who's been an alcoholic for his whole entire life since he was 18 years old, um, died one year sober 
you know? Mm. And so, you know, for whatever ways, and he was a drug abuser for probably 10 years. I don't even know because he wow. didn't really tell me when he started. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I totally will not ever discount the power of humans. Like I'm not, uh, going to claim that we don't have free will or that, you know, God cannot, that people and God cannot change others and, and help turn things around. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, an ability where a stronghold like a Hitler or Trump or whatever, who has this potent, powerful negative energy that brings up the, the darkness that is in people's souls. Like, I don't Ooh. know necessarily if, if yeah. the white supremacy that has taken hold of evangelicalism today or the church or white people hmm. is really necessarily something that was up in the forefront. Not to say that it's not in the back, right? That it's there subconsciously because of what we've been taught, the lack of awareness, the all of that. But it's, it's this negative, powerful force that then brings these things that are in the dark closet. It opens the door and then just has people bring it all out, right? Yeah. And so I, I don't know if we hadn't had a Trump, you know, and the, and the, and the Tea Party insane, insanos um, that just, it's been a, it's been a 10 year process. It has been. Absolutely. To, Absolutely. Do it's like it's not an instapot. It's literally like a long time stew that you have to put on the stove. It's like a turkey, right? It's just yeah. ten years for it to finally be done, and that culmination is Trump and what we have today. So, granted, it's a long. It's been a long time coming, but slowly the the closet door has been opening. It's mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I just finished Harry Potter, right? It's like the leading up to Voldemort. Like there you go bodily fruition, right? Yes, it's yeah. been slowly pieces in book one, yeah. two, three, it's been like a 10 year, seven book process right. of the Tea Partiers coming and like infiltrating and creating this mess. Mm -hmm. But here we are and we have to fight Voldemort and, uh, you know, we have to now blatantly fight this white supremacy thing. So at this point, are you going to have a cup of tea with Voldemort and try to negotiate and talk it out with him? Like, <laughs> right. you're just not. Like, you're just going to either become one of his, like, minions or <laughs> you are going to die. So, right. like, really the choice is, is, is yours. And my choice is I'm going to fight. I'm going to, you know, die fighting. I'm going to try. That's deep. And, and there's so much there. That is... Okay, Irene. So it's fascinating to you that you said, because I, I can relate to that. You were like, when you came into the white context, like they saw you, right? Um, I came from such a, a a stern, black, conservative, well, really not even conservative as much as it was just fundamental, Seventh-day Adventist connection that, you know, you never, right? The younger never outdid, whatever that means, the elders. Like, you, you, they, like whoever was up, on the elder seats, and I remember there was there was the one big seat in the middle of the church, and there was two other seats on each side, right? And like the senior pastor sat right there, always a man, and everybody else, right? The elders would say, "You can never surpass that group." Um, yep. 
So when I first started, you know, kind of mingling with Young Life, white Young Life, it was like, whoa, I never, right? It's like, this is, and you want me to come do program and be funny on stage? I never thought we could do this. I thought camp was just preaching at kids for, you know, nine hours straight. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then like with Jim Rayburn and his whole philosophy of like, oh, it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. yeah. But then, right, you get into it and it's like the ugliness of racism and Oh damn, man! I just can't, man. I can't stand those people. But you, you, you're not, you're not like that, you know. You're not. I, I, you know, I like you. How have you navigated your faith? I'm still curious. Like, what? How? How have you kept with Christianity and not? Yeah, and why? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> it's a great question. I do. I do ask myself that question every day. Um, I think, you know, so for me on a personal level, hey, I grew up Pentecostal, so. Okay, all nine right. Hours, yes. Nine hours, you know, talking to kids. Right. Like, praying over them to get the demon of adolescence out. Hey, that's them. right. Yes. Demons. Is, yes. Oh, my oh God. My. Um, oh, my. So all of that. But I, I, I'm really grateful because, you know, for whatever my alma mater is now, it has become so closely um MAGA-esque, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't when I went there. <laughs> MAGA-esque. It had problems, but I, I, having grown up and experienced the spiritualness of God and like, you know, have had interactions with God yeah. on a very, um, you know, earthy level, Yeah. Um, not to diminish the size of God. Um, but actually it was to have been allowed to experience the greatness of God. My, my spiritual interaction has been very full in that regard. And then to go to my alma mater, um, which shall not be named, uh, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's easy to look up. So, you know, I was able to get the foundations, the biblical foundations, you know, established in that yeah. sense. So I feel very grateful that I have the best of both worlds. I feel like okay. I have a spiritual, a profound, passionate, fiery spiritual experience with God. And then a groundedness of all of that based upon biblical foundations. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think for me, you know, that all happened while dealing with my continual never ending trauma. And so, you know, having been raised by my senior pastor, having been fired um, from a church that desperately asked for my help. And as I've revived the youth ministry, then they couldn't handle it. So, you know, also my supervisor got hired after me and he didn't believe women should be in ministry. So he was so, (laughs) you know, one of the reasons I've shared this so many times, but one of the reasons is because he, he argued because women have menstrual cycles and that prevents us from being able to fully do ministry. Right. This is my supervisor. People still believe that stupid shit too. I mean, anyways, I'm yes. Yes. I just, there was, I'm in this women, women's group, you know, women who are in ministry group and a woman was like, Hey, I need to ask a question. Uh, Do any of you work with a man and do you share an office space? And I'm like, are we still asking this dumb fuck question? Like, Oh, we're still asking the question. So right. Question. 
I tweeted out, I was like, you know, the world is asking, how can we create sustainable energy so that we don't destroy the earth? Right. Meanwhile, right. Christians, can a man and woman work in an office space together? Get the fuck oh, out of here. Oh, man. Good morning. I know. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I think, you know, all throughout as I, and then my parents' issues were happening, there was just a lot of, of you know, and financial issues that we were having, just so much trauma that was just like never ending in my own journey that, you know, Lena Thompson, who I absolutely adore, you I know, miss her, Lena. yeah, yeah, her class where we, she really continually talks about if we do not have a theology from below mm-hmm. where, you know, where we're seeing the Bible and understanding God's heart and soul, um, through the lens of the marginalized and the oppressed. Um, and so I think my trauma and my wrestling with where God is really continually allowed me to have this interaction with God that was very real and very honest um, and authentic. And I, I never felt afraid that God could handle my really, really big questions about where God is and why is all of this shit happening? And you know, and even in my journey, when I, when I told God to basically fuck off and I'm sick of, you know, yeah. these character developments that are yes. supposedly existing, you know, so my faith can deepen. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm done. I, right. I don't need any more character development. And God went away. God was silent for five years in my life. Um, and then I had a massive massive spiritual experience. Hmm. Um, it was, it was right as I was about to embark on an intercession, um, with my dad, who I found out was, you know, abusing cocaine and on top of his alcoholism. And, and I was entering into that net, what would be come a nine year era, um, of dealing with him and, and trying to get him sober and, and that whole culmination. And if you know, my calling into ministry is so connected to my dad because God, I distinctly heard from God. If you give your life for me, um, in a ministry capacity and serving, you know, in serving the kingdom and ministry in some way, shape or form, God promised me that my dad would be saved as we say it, like his soul would be released from the demons that had been imprisoning him, you know, Mm. and he, would return to the family and, you know, just be made whole again, um, in, in that way. And in what my belief would be eternal salvation, you know, I still believe in heaven and I definitely want to believe in hell because Mitch McConnell and <laughs> Lindsey Graham and the likes of them all need to burn oh, in it. Yeah, Matt, yeah. Matt and I've had these discussions. Matt is my husband, right? We've had these discussions because <laughs> he's like, really, do you, you think that, you know, eternal damnation? I was like, fine. Fine. I can settle for I can settle for twenty thousand years. That Mitch McConnell needs to burn in hell right. for twenty thousand years, and then he can come up for trial. There you go. And be like, did you? Did you? It was this twenty thousand years enough compensation for the fuckness that you did? Okay, uh, okay. It doesn't have to be eternity. I, I, uh, yeah. I can give that much grace. Okay. <laughs> Right. But it's got to be a long last damn time. Oh. Each person that he's ruined multiplied times their lifetime. So let's say 80 years times millions of people. So I feel like 20,000 years is a fair deal of eternal damnation. 
<laughs> so, but you know, so whatever it is, God spoke to me and said that my dad would be saved if I stayed committed to being in ministry, you know, in some way, shape or form. And I've kept my deal. I'm, you know, I'm still committed. I am still committed to helping the world and helping people in a, in a certain degree that is related to Christian faith. Um, I, I continually feel compelled and convicted that I want to release, I want to help people be released from mm-hmm. the fundamentalism that imprisons them and doesn't allow them to actually experience God the way God should be experienced. Um, but that spiritual, that profound spiritual experience, I think, I mean, it was otherworldly. I, I wasn't on any drugs, wasn't on anything, but I went to another dimension, like Hmm. mentally, emotionally, Hmm. spiritually, like I can't describe it, but it, I, the only way I always ever describe it is I felt like Neo at the end of the matrix where I could see things. Mm -hmm. I could go up to people and know what their issues were and like, talk to them and these people would be like, how did you know that this is what I was struggling with? Right. Yeah. It was like a spiritual and for whatever, Matt and I, he's like educating me on quantum physics and quantum realm. I was just about to say all that. Exactly. I was just about to go there with that. Yes. So when he was starting to teach me about all of it, I mean, I was blown. I'm like, my Pentecostal upbringing mind is blown away right now because it explains so much. Absolutely. And you know, being Korean, being Asian, we already have such a deep connection, even if I don't know the the uh, full artistry and school of thought of chi and like, you know, all of that. But we, we have a basic awareness and understanding of, of energy and connection that humans have with each other. So like even as an acu- my acupuncturist, you know, he was saying how vital it was, like especially if you want you should go to your acupuncturist in the morning because they're fresh as they've woken up in the Mm. day because you're not just putting a needle in a spot. You're taking your chi energy and like sending it through the needle as you're putting the needle in and sending that chi energy into your patient, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the healing process. It's not simply like a poke of a needle and then something in your body triggers. It's my energy to your energy and that's going to heal your body, your mind, your whatever is your issue. And so like just having known, knowing all of that and having been brought up in that school of thought, my favorite, I mean, when Willie Jennings talked about, uh, talked about it in the missiology lectures mm-hmm. at Fuller, and he talked about just how white people have muted God, right? Because of their disconnection and their commodification of the earth and and resources and people their their absolute disconnect from things that are living in the ground and in the earth and in like plants and in animals and all of that right like i I mean i felt that deep deep in my core Mm -hmm. and so uh, you know for and and when he called out how like basically colonizing white missionaries white colonizing missionaries ended up labeling that as animism and he just eviscerated that and I, I, I mean I stood up yeah. and I was just I wanted to show throw my shoes at him yes because I I, I, I mean that was 
two years ago or getting three years ago. And I, to this day, I carry that thought with me wherever I go now, like just thinking, even as I go grocery shopping and I touch the vegetables and like, I think about the, the earth and the living things by which we are going to feed our bodies, by which we connect with each other, walking down the street. Like, you know, I think if anything, my breaking away from evangelicalism and breaking away from the white supremacy that I've realized was so imprisoning Christianity, American Christianity in particular, I think it's made my faith even more profound. It's made my faith in God even greater because now I realize Mm. there are no boundaries. Whereas before the upbringing uh, in evangelicalism with its systematic theology and its needing to check boxes and put God in this defined, you know, clear description and all of that. Yeah. That's just blown apart. And so God has no boundaries anymore for me. Like, I mean, the, the universe, the galaxies are, are God's oyster. Right. And so for me, the potential of integration of these concepts that in the past I would have called quote unquote worldly, (laughs) or secular <laughs> right, right. or, you know, oh, I know. or New Age. evil or demonic yes. or whatever. That, yes. that is all under the supremacy of God, you know, in God's creation and manifests itself. It doesn't have to be in Christian format, right? And so I think in the past, like everything I'm saying right now, I would be like, jeez, this girl's a heretic. She's a totally <laughs> like, you know, going to go to hell. But like, why would we limit? Why are we thinking we God is limited by our right, right. need and desire to define the rules? And that need to define the rules was established by colonization, was established by white supremacy, was established by white people. So fuck that shit. I'm Eastern. Like <laughs> I'm thoroughly Eastern chick through and through who's had to adopt Westernism because my parents decided to immigrate into this space and I'm grateful for the intersectionality of it because I do, I have a J personality. So I like yeah. categories. I like systematized things. I'm not saying they're in, in and of itself evil, but if we then, if my categories then begin to limit God, then it's evil. It's the same thing. Money in and of itself is not evil. But if we allow money and finance and resources to imprison us and define us, then it becomes evil. And it's the same with power. Yeah. It's the same with relationships. Yeah. It's all of it, right? And so why would, if anything, exiting out of evangelicalism, which I still, you know, there are parts of me that that are still mourning that loss. There are still parts of sure. me that are lost and confused and feel very homeless. Yeah. You know, yeah. I Yes. I grew up on it and I've yes. been blessed by it and I've met God through it, you know, yes. all of that. Yes. But, but to have a certain breakup with it, even if it's a kid going away from from home to come back, like the prodigal 
sun to come mm-hmm. back at some point with a deeper, wiser, shrewder perspective. Um, I'm my hope is that evangelicalism, as much as it, I want it to die out. What rises from the ashes, I hope, is some more powerful, transformed morph of it. Yeah, you know, where we can have the experiential element of of being in the presence of God, but combine or without all the shackles, without the fundamentalism that yeah has taken over it. Well, I think you said it. I mean, you, 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 the, the integration, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, the integration of science um, into religion and, and seeing it beyond the evangelical, right, that circle that you were talking about, like placing God in boundaries, right? It's like, if we're talking about string theory and quantum physics, it's like, why would we be thinking that God would actually be condemning a group of people, whoever they are, whether they're LGBTQ, whether they're this people over here, right? Whether they're Iraqi citizens, right? Al Qaeda. Why would we think God would be so concerned with that? I just, and I think that for me, as you're talking, I mean, that's, it. it's great because it's like, it's a good reflection of, at least for me, why I continue to, you know, to hang on to aspects of Christianity because it, it there is that that resonation that 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 comes with right like you said it's like i think I, there is a mourning right that comes from leaving evangelicalism and it's difficult right to 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 move away from ideological structures that were once familiar that were once known that were once uh comforting right all those things right it's like the question what happens when you die and it's like i think part of evangelicalism provides those comforting spaces and i do i feel emily and i feel nomadic with where we're at right now theologically um and i don't have any great answers for that other than it's it's the national re it's national it's the, it's a natural recourse of action that that happens when you push away from something and you're just like, ah, I don't know. It goes back to even the earlier conversation of it's just feeling the, the, the FOMO, right, for drama. It's like, well, you know, to get healthy and to, and to get into a space of mental health and, and mental space, I mean, it, there's, there's a sense that I don't, I don't, I don't want to be attracted to that anymore. And, and, and I'm not attracted to that anymore, but there's still the, right, the impression and the... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like the village. And the comfortability of it. Like, yes. You just know it. Right. Right. There's a familiarity with it, right? There's there's yeah. a there's a sense of like, well, this feels a lot better because I know it and I've done it. Even though I don't necessarily like it, it feels a lot better than just being calm or being like disconnected and just, right? And, you know, and feeling like, oh, man. I, I'm curious, just, I mean, you talked about, you know, Eastern faith. How does, I mean, how does that nuance now in 2020, here we are you're in the Bay Area, Matt's connected to, you know, with Facebook, you know, especially with all these things, man, how do you, how do you not nuance this, this political era that we're in? Because we've gotten to a place now, right? That it's, we're no longer, we're no longer like, it's a society against, right? For example, white supremacist groups. I mean, the fact that, White supremacist organizations are some of Trump's biggest funders, right? Uh, this is what I can't get, like, my mother-in-law to understand, like, you know, but they're still connected on the same hot-button issues. Second Amendment gun rights, abortion, 
same-sex marriage, right? And even on the comments, like people, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, but Biden's, you know, he's a baby killer. How do you nuance these binary conversations that I feel, quite honestly, I don't, like you said, I'm not trying to have a conversation with the neo-Nazi to win them over or to, 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 to somehow see their point of view. I'm just not. So... <laughs> How few nuance some of that stuff in this era that we find ourselves in where social media, conversations, everything feels like it's politicized, even wearing a mask. I don't know if that makes sense. I know it's a big, broad, amalgamous question. And it, I, it's fitting because there are so many aspects to what we're dealing with right now. Like, hmm. you have people who aren't that extremist but they're starting their journey of leaving the home that they've known, you know, like you and I have been on this journey simply because we are not white. You know, we, you've been asking these questions because you've been an outsider who has been trying to be in that world as, as well as I have, you know, like for me, I said white spaces were safe for me. It didn't mean that I thought I was white. I knew I wasn't white. I mean, I look in the mirror and I'm not white. I hate that my mom used to remind me all the time, just because you want to be white, don't forget, you have an Asian face, you have Asian hair. I'm like, bitch, shut up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I tell my mom all the time, you were right. Like, <laughs> I hate it. But it's not like I didn't want to be white, but I knew I wasn't white, even if white spaces were safe for me. So you and I have been asking this question, that here are these white people who are now beginning their nomadic journey. They're finally packing their bags up and leaving, and they don't know what the fuck to do because mm -hmm. they have never needed to ask these questions, right? Um even white women, like there was even to a certain degree a place for them in these white spaces, even if it was a space that they didn't really necessarily want because it was inferior, quote unquote, in the eyes of white men, right? But mm -hmm. they still, they even if they were fighting for power, it wasn't a fight to belong. It, they, they belonged in the group because they're white women, right? And so this is the dilemma that we always go through when white women are like, I understand oppression. Like, bitch, no, you do not. Like, you're fucking, you got the VIP card. You just want a better seat. You just want, you don't want to be in train one, in car, you know, car one. You don't want to be in car like three or whatever. Like, but we're not even in the caboose, okay? Like, we're following along the train. Like, you just shut up. So, like, you know, I, these, these people, I think, are for the first time asking these questions. And so all of your questions of, uh, how do we have these conversations? And I, I think for me, you know, anyone who is at this point a staunch Trump supporter, whether it's because they understand their white supremacy, whether it's because of the abortion issue, all of that, if they are a hardcore Trump supporter, then I don't, I don't bother at this point. Like there yeah. is, nothing that can be discussed after four years. If you still, yeah. if you still think that he was the right president, if you still think that he is a qualified leader after hearing all of his idiocy, I'm not even saying 
saying is racism. And I'm not even saying his misogyny. Like, I, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm just glad that he's an idiot. Like, he's right. fucking goddamn sentence. Like, <laughs> that alone does not discount or discredit him in your mind. There's no hope for you. Like, after four years. So, bless the people who need to deal with their family members and their friends and, and all of that. I know I, I talked to and counsel so many people who are having these difficult conversations. And yeah. I yeah. praise the Lord. I have worked with my mom, worked on my mom for a long time. She was not on the Trump train. She has fought with so many of her Korean friends on the Trump train. And just, she, every day, she calls me. I counsel her every day because she calls me. She's like, these stupid Koreans who don't understand how stupid they're being. So great. Um, you know, and so I bless these people who are having these conversations. I am slowly, I just left a group, a Facebook group. I, I committed to being part of this group because this friend who is white man wanted to try and see if two sides of the table can come together and, um, have dialogue because yeah. that's white people still think that we can have dialogue about this. Yeah, I hear that. They I still hear that. Because white people have never had to go through the deconstruction. They they don't understand what war is. They not in the sense of like emotional spiritual war. They don't. Like how can you understand what war is when you've been the one a creating the war? Like you've called the shots. Literally, physically, you've been part of a country and part of leadership that you are the represented, you are the majority who gets to call the shots of where war is going to happen, right? No white person in America who is no white person in America has ever experienced the invasion of their own territory, quote unquote, ter their own territory, the territory they've stolen, but the territories they dwell have dwelt in that they've stolen, you know, they've never been actually invaded. They've been very afraid that they will be invaded, but they actually have never been invaded. So how can white people understand what that is when they've been the one creating wars elsewhere, right? So two, like they've never emotionally had to go through war. Like they may have as individuals had battles within their family structures, et cetera, yeah. But nothing to the degree of their personhood or their identity. Um, Sorry about that. Nothing I, in their. Oh, you're good. Good going. Nothing in their personhood or in their identity or in their belonging have they had to fight a war. Like not within themselves, they've had to simply go through the growth process of understanding their identity, but not to the degree of like not belonging, you know? Yeah. And so the, they have clicks where they don't belong. They have, you know, the, that kind of feelings, but in actuality, they've never gone through the process of as a people group, not belonging. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so how, how can they understand how to fight something this gigantic that needs dismantling when they've never ever had to ask these hard questions before. So their go-to is to say, well, let's talk about it because they've never been to actual war. 
So they think dialogue is going to be plausible. So bless their heart. Um, but anyway, so this group, this friend who wanted to have these dialogues, um, you know, I, I consider it a failed experiment because there are seven to eight white men in that group that just would not shut the fuck up. And <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, they talk, I mean, they talk over everyone. They dialogue. They just right. will comment on each other's comments and just uh, pat each other on the back. Oh, I know. You know. I know. I mean, yeah. yeah, they went through this whole thing. And like, we just had this dialogue that led to me. Find, uh, one of the guys who originally posted. So it was over something so stupid. It was, do you know that meme that went around that was like, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. And it was, oh, uh, and yeah. then that stupid ass meme that yeah. was like, you know, being fit is hard. Obesity is hard. Choose your heart. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy, this white guy, he's conservative, he, um, a conservative Christian, and he posted, he's like, oh, this was so inspiring. So two other white people pushed against it very eloquently. Okay. And then I said, I echo what these two people say. I agree with everything of their pushback. Yeah. And then I posted a meme that crossed out that meme and then answered below. Um, actually, being in an abused relationship is really hard, so don't choose don't choose that hard. Um, actually, obesity is hard because of, you know, a stereotype and stigma against it. So right. you should choose happiness, right, and contentment in who you are. Right. Um, you know, I, it was like, it was a, a contrast. And so at the end, right, the, the crossed out meme was, you know, don't make all of these issues reductionistic like this or whatever. They went crazy. These, there were like four men, white men, whose minds just, just exploded. <laughs> and, and then I, I just, I, they were going again, like arguing against me. And not against the other two white people. Of course not. They always of course not. The woman of, of color in there, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Um, gotta gotta make sure she's put in her place. That's right. How um, dare she speak to 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 them how like dare that? She speak out. <laughs> so then um, they uh, what happened? Oh, and and so I was like, wow, y'all are so devoted to this stupid me. That you're just quadrupling down on this instead of taking a pause and a moment to reflect. And I was like, I liked this meme originally when it first came out because we're used to bumper sticker type of thing. And then, you know what happened? I had wise, true friends who were like, actually, and I said, huh. And I, you know what I did? I deleted the meme <laughs> because I was educated by people, right? Right. And I was like, what I don't understand is the unwillingness to listen to other voices to speak out and give you wisdom and expand your world. And then uh, they, again, argued with me. And of one of the guys, and I, I quoted him and laughed. And that, okay, so anyway, he said, I'm not disagreeing with Irene, like what she said. Again, I wasn't the only one who said this. Um, so I'm not disagreeing or discounting her, but that's, those are the exceptions. And the majority of situations are like blah, 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 right? So then I quoted him and like, so that it was verbatim and asked in all caps, who's majority? I was oh, like, thank you right. for proving my point right. of your privilege. Right. I've been arguing that you all are showing your privilege. Yep. 
thank you for proving that you think your majority that 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 is the that you and your perspective is the majority, right? right. And I just was like, lol, lol, and then the original poster blocked me, and I was like, and I'm done. I'm done with this group. Wow, and all of that because it's like that, and that, and that is. And that's where I feel confounded because I'm just like, I don't, I really don't have time to sit and explain some of the things that you should have gotten. It's just like when I get college students and you know, I'm teaching an advanced writing class and you don't even know what a thesis is. It's like, I, I, I don't, I'm, we're supposed to be talking about higher learning concepts and how to integrate that throughout your paper. But we got to go back to the five paragraph essay. Right. And it's just like, well, I feel like, and I, yes, I'll help and I'll teach, but it's like in some of these other situations, I feel like I'm not going to be. It's one of the reasons why I don't. I'm not like part of really any group because it, 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 especially if it's if a white group, because I usually end up. I was just telling Emily this the other day. I think I, I end up being having to be the teacher because of the color of my skin, because of my education. Um, I always hold back in certain groups telling folks that I'm an author because then it's like, Oh, Oh, now I'm just like, wait a minute. Can we just be peers and not have to turn into this thing? Because then I feel like it's an inevitably going to come back to if there's white folks in that group, the pushback. It's like, it's, it's a novel idea until I push back on some of your own ideas and be like, yeah, I don't know. And that's, and that's where I feel like how do I, I feel confounded in the sense that where do we go from here? I, I don't know. I don't know. I did have a great conversation. So for your audience, um, my husband is white. Um, I, I had to vet him. (laughs) I understand. I had to make sure. I understand. Um, Luckily, we didn't meet at a time. We met at a time post my awakening, right? Okay. (laughs) Um, And so I... I was at least aware. I haven't had to go through the process where I know some other folks and friends of mine who have been married to white people who then have had to deal and deconstruct stuff post, you know, like 15 years into their marriage, et cetera, because they're coming into an awareness of their ethnicity or their racial identity, et cetera. So we haven't needed to have those conversations, um, but we had a very interesting insight um, which I have, I have, uh, shared with other white men who have said that it is very poignant and actually probably extremely truthful for the reasons why white men dialogue the way that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that white culture has been taught to us that, Debate is a form of di- is a form of conversation and a, a very productive mm. and healthy form of conversation. And not only that, um, we were having a, a fight one time, um, and this is when it came to light. He said, "Well, I argue because I want to ask these questions, and if you prove me wrong, then I will absolutely accept that, which is not true of a lot of white men out there, but it is of my husband. Um, praise the Lord." But it's that mentality of like, I have done my work to believe what I believe. And so it's fine that you're bringing this. It's kind of a scientific methodology, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least Western scientific methodology. 
that if you come with an argument against my theory or against my belief, you've got to bring your shit in and like prove it. And once you do that, then I'll start opening my mind and like, go, let's go down a pathway of like asking these other questions. So once that ha- once I, that realization happened, you know, it, it has helped me to a certain degree, be a bit more empathetic to mm-hmm. the method by which they dialogue. I think the problem I find and the frustration I have is that they're so far behind, like, right. because yeah. they've never had to deal with these issues until the last, not even four years, because it took them two fucking years to realize that there was a problem. And so it's technically only been two years that a lot of white folks who are now asking these race questions are really taking it seriously. And there's, I feel behind on reading like, and I've been reading stuff for five years. So like, you know, you are doing this just now and you, you haven't ever asked the question of, again, your belonging and your identity in regards to race. I can't have, I can't have these conversations with you. Like it's, it's like what you're saying. If you were teaching doctoral students, how it's so difficult to go back and, you know, teach undergrad, not even like elementary school, because elementary school kids are at least cute and like there's so much hope, right? But like, you're right. With, undergrad, with undergrad kids, you're like, how the fuck do you not know this already? <laughs> yeah. It, it's the thing, you know, people say it all the time, like, why I love youth ministry and I didn't like college ministry. And it was because by college ministry, I have this mentality that you should have some shit, some of your shit together. But I know that's not true and I know it's unfair and I know all of the, I know all of the dialogue of uh, postponed adolescence and like, la, 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 I'm a youth pastor. Okay. So I get all of the, I get all of it. La, 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 la. But it's still frustrating that you have to teach your undergrad students, you know, what a thesis is or all of these things that their schools should have taught them already. Now on my empathetic side, being a nine, right? Like, isn't it? the fault of the undergrad student who is ignorant of these things if their upbringing didn't prepare them. Like, and that's where I want to have more patience and I want to be that bridge builder and, and say, okay, to these white men who are just now beginning to embark on these issues, I want to be more loving and gracious. Um, I think uh, I'm so I'm so tired, and if I'm this tired, I just don't know how much more. I can't imagine how much more exhausted Black people are, right? And like, so I that's for me where the where the dilemma is. Like, how much more patient should we be, or can we be, when white people are so behind on this dialogue, and they're and they they're so honestly, I'm gonna say it straight up, they're so goddamn lazy, like. They won't do the reading. Like, yeah. I can't tell you. And I know people of color do this too, but they just don't do it as much as white people do. It's something about white culture. And it's not like all white culture. My husband grew up rural. They grew up very, um, very pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Do your work yeah. and like get it, get, you know, do the reading. My husband will never ask me questions without having done all the reading himself. Like, and then he'll have a dialogue. And I so greatly appreciate that work ethic in him and that upbringing. But there's something about, in particular, elitist, progressive, like, white folks who are just fucking lazy as hell. And they're <laughs> like, hey, I mean, it's like the thing when I was an administrator, you know, and so many questions would come in of like, hey, I'm working on my doctorate. 
can you compile a list for me for like all these books that I should be reading right. about this subject matter? Right. And it's right. like, what the fuck? Yeah. You're a doctoral student. That's a part of your work, bitch. Right. Like, right. how right. do I do this work for you? Which is so, I don't know what it is. It's not like, hey, I've read through these books and I would love to dialogue with you about mm-hmm. these questions that right. I have. Like, do some goddamn work. Right. And then we can have a dialogue. Like, if you actually have done something in regards to that. But, like, they ask these questions and you know now. I, I am enough deep in the game of having, and again, you've been 10 years ahead of me on having these race dialogues, you know? And so like, if I four years in can know right off the bat, this question that you're asking shows that you have done negative or 0% of homework. You haven't read Jack Diddley squat. I am not wasting my time on you. Do some. And so like, I don't do it anymore. When people ask me questions and they reach out, I'm like, here, read these 10 books. That's enough grace that I'm giving you, that I'm going to do your homework for you and even right. write these 10 books down that you should read. Now go do homework and then we can have a dialogue about it. Right. I'm just done with laziness. I'm done with lazy white people. <laughs> yes. If, if they come with profound questions, I mean, I, there are people online who private message me with really good questions. I will have a great dialogue with them. Yeah. I will be extremely patient. Yeah. It's the lazy, oh, yeah, well, what about this? Right, right. That's a great, that's a great, and that's exactly where I'm at, too. It's, 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 I will have a conversation, and I mean, for God's sakes, I'm, I'm an educator, so it's like, I definitely want to have that, but I also don't want to have to go 15 steps, because I've had those conversations so much, and look what it got us in 2016, right? Giving deference to whiteness, giving deference to oh let's just be nice and just say it this way and I think that was kind of where I was at when I gave my talk was it 2018 at CCDA and I think so many people misconstrued it and I knew there was a whole bunch of crap going on with Noel and they thought you know some people thought I was like you know trying to speak out against Noel and I was like it, it had nothing to do with any of that I wasn't even so much even criticizing CCDA as much as I'm just saying I am done with the bullshit I am yep. done and out of all of those things, the one thing that people take away from that language. Yeah, it's so language. stupid language, not the stats, not any of the concepts that I was talking about, not any of the, th- the stuff that I was quoting language. And I'm just like, I'm. And the folks who've come out of that and been like, oh, man, I like, wow, that's amazing. Those, you know, I'm going to I'm going to stay connected and we're going to continue to grow. But, oh, my gosh, it's exhausting uh, just where we're at. Um, I don't want to I could keep talking with you all day. I don't want to keep you because I know you've got a thousand things to do. Um, But and I appreciate you coming on, which just means we'll have to get you on again. To talk more. I do this all day. Oh, I know. I, that's just it. I it's there's there's so much, and I and because I'm a four, and I and I and you know as an anagram four, and like an extrovert, I I, I just I am lacking, and that's why I'm just I left the video on because I'm just like at least there's some interaction because I'm just I'm just tired of not having interaction, but. Tell the folks where what you're doing now, because I know you got a, a thriving business and where they can find you. And like I'm going to put all these in the show notes and you have to go to Irene's um, uh, a Twitter account. 
there's just so much stuff that's on. You have over 37,000 tweets, so you got to do that. But yeah, we're... <laughs> Where are yeah? Where 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 can folks find you and, and what's and what you got going? So all my social media is Irene M Cho um, M's for Michelle because my mom was gonna name me Michael if I was a boy wow. and I came out a girl. So I I got the middle name Michelle um, C H O not Chu not Chow not Che it's just Cho C H O. So I read him show. If you want raw, authentic, lots of draw f bombs dropping, um, Irene, you go to Twitter. All right. If you want a bit more fleshed out, nuanced, insightful, <laughs> you go to Facebook. All right. And more fun, you know, with some speckles of of race dialogue and some truthfulness, you go to Instagram. I am on TikTok. I am not doing TikTok because I. And not extroverted enough to reveal that quirky yeah, side of me on I'm, TikTok. Right, right. I'm with um, you. But I am a lurker on TikTok. Oh, it has been my relief in 2020. That's the funny. Shitstorm that has been 2020. That is funny. Um, so I, I, all I do is send people texts of uh, TikTok because <laughs> it's just I love it so much. Oh, that's funny. Um, so. That's that. Um, my business is finding the in between.com right now. Um, I just have some blogs up, but I am in the work. Basically, we're trying to create urban um, resources. So we want to do training. Um, we want to do certification. Um, we want to do curricula in particular with people who work with young people, um, yeah. leaders who work with young people and from an urban progressive perspective. So we want to create youth curricula that is fully affirming, that has proper pronoun languages for God and for themselves. Um, and yet still is deeply rooted and grounded in who Jesus is. Um, because there's just nothing out there that is doing that right now. Um, yeah. And so that's what our hope is. And we want, we're going to provide actual classes that we can talk about these kinds of things and flesh this out, um, you know, and have no limitation by academic standards in the sense that AKA basically white administrators who say we can't right. talk about this shit. Yes. So um, that's what we want to provide. That's what's up. That's what's up. And again, if for anyone listening, I will put all these in the show notes, whitehodgepodcast.com. Um, go and check these things out. I mean, this is, again, one of the things that I think passively folks who want to learn can do, right? They can listen to a podcast. Yeah. They can, it, it can like, you know, voyeuristically kind of sit in on this conversation and then go click on these resources and then, and then they can they be continue to be engaged and actually have an informed yeah. conversation with you as opposed to why... Is Trump so bad? Right. Conversation. <laughs> good lordy. Oh my gosh. Good lordy indeed. Well, Irene, thank you so much for taking the time out today and having this enriching conversation about life, theology, race, being Eastern and, and FOMO of, of trauma. That's that's I'm still on FOMO that. That's, trauma. <laughs> I love we it. We gotta we gotta we gotta let that go. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. I'm Yeesh. proud of you. I'm well, proud of me. That's right. Exactly. I'm proud, proud of you of too. Shoot. Well, thank we're you. Grown up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're getting grown up. We, we're adulting, as the Gen Ys would say, right? 
Yep, we're adulting. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, thank you so much. This is great. I love it. We've got to do this again. Yes. I can do this all day with you. Anytime. All right. Well, this is good. I'm glad. I'm glad we got the initial one off. You're actually going to be... So this week, I'm going to run Angie... Uh, and then I got, um, so I got you, and then I've got uh, Nicole Kim. So it's going to be like the, the, the Asian trinity. So. Asian invasion. That's it. So Asian it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be good. So this is perfect. I love it. Perfect, perfect. <laughs>